Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's Word. Second Corinthians chapter 10. This morning we take up verses 1 through 6 on the subject of spiritual warfare. So would you stand as we read the Word of God? I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect of us as walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would do the work in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds today as we take up your word. Cause us to see the truth of this word. Cause us to see the truth of what is transpiring in us and around us, even as we speak. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us boldness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the phrase spiritual warfare comes up, I wonder what is in your mind. I fear for many of us, we have some kind of science fiction, quasi-horror movie idea. Is spiritual warfare even real? or you know, You're just overstating things. Why would you use a statement like that? Let me just simply say it this way. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God speaks of spiritual warfare as reality. It's real. It is transpiring at all times around us. So really, if if that is true, and we believe the Word of God is true, I believe the Word of God is true, the Bible speaks to reality. If that is reality, there are really only one of two positions that you can take with spiritual warfare. You can either be engaged or surrendered. There's not a middle ground because you don't think about it or you don't agree with it or you don't believe it or you don't take it serious or reality doesn't mean that you're not affected. So you're either engaged or surrendered. So really we're talking about engagement today. So here's our main idea. With the humility and gentleness, we wage spiritual warfare in obedience to Christ by His power. Now, I'm not trying to further the news cycle in what I'm about to say, but it serves as an example. (laughs) Um, Tuesday night was both a stunning and confusing spectacle. To watch two people who claim to want one holds it, the other wants to hold it, the highest office in our land, and to watch them act like third graders was stunning. All decorum was out the window. It was 
a clear display of human flesh. Now, that's nothing to do about how to tell you how to vote or anything. I'm just stating the reality of what we all watched and went, what? What was that? Well, why would I bring it up? We saw how not to debate. We also saw how not to obey this text. In other words, we don't engage in spiritual warfare in our culture by yelling, screaming, blaming, and talking over people. That's the flesh. That is not what we want to do. So how do we engage? With humility and gentleness, we wage spiritual warfare and obedience to Christ. I, Paul, myself, entreat you. So Paul here, who normally speaks in the plural noun, we, speaking of the team and those he travels and does ministry with, here now speaks directly about himself. And you're going to see what transpires in this stark contrast of turn and argument. Paul's going to be defending the ministry that he is called to do. But he starts here by saying, I entreat you, I earnestly request, I urge you, I beg you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And the word by means through or because of. So by the humility or meekness and gentleness of Christ or because of the humility and compassion of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, you see very similar language. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. If you are a Christian, you have been affected by the gentleness and lowliness of Christ. And you have now been given the spirit of Christ and you are called to emulate Christ. That it is through Christ's meekness and gentleness that we have been affected and it is through the meekness and gentleness of Christ in us that we are to walk in him. Now let me acknowledge something before we go any further. There's a tension in this text. Paul talks about the meekness and gentleness of Christ, and then he talks about boldness. We, we can see those things as antithetical. Jesus didn't. Because if you look in Matthew chapter 11, just prior to him saying, I'm meek and lowly of heart, you see him say to the people of Chorazine and, and Bethsaida, he says, woe to you. That's a bold statement. He calls them to judgment. So there's a way with meekness and gentleness to still be bold. He concludes the verse by saying, I who am humble when face to face to you, but bold toward you when I am away. You see there's an explanation point. This is an emphatic statement. Parenthetical statement too. So you've got to ask this question about this statement. Should that be read as fact or is something else happening here? Well, the answer is something else happening here. Paul's actually being sarcastic. I am humble and face to face you, but bold towards you when I'm away. If you look in verse 10, you can see Paul was being accused of being unimpressive. And that, that what he actually would do is when he would write, he would come off like a braggart. But when he was face to face, he was very cowardly. And Paul says that's just not even true at all. And he's speaking to how he is going to confront them when he is present and he's saying that those who are coming and speaking about me are misleading you they're misconstruing who Paul actually is and we got to admit something that even today 
we can fall into the trap that these false teachers were offering in Corinth. That somebody has to have some form of a magnanimous public presence and spiritual uh, approach that appears to be one of power. One that, that comes off. And, and it has amazed me, even people that I know and respect who know their Bible and love Jesus can hear somebody who's a powerful speaker and go, boy, that was great. And you go, no, actually it wasn't. Either A, didn't say anything, or B, it was terrible. But because somebody comes off as powerful, they're seen as influential. They are influential. They just may be influencing you in the wrong direction. And Paul's saying here, that's, that's not... Not who I am at all. But he pleads with these people that he won't have to show them a firm boldness when he comes. He says, I beg of you that on my present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now Paul's getting to the heart of the matter. Here's the accusation about Paul that Paul is a fleshly man and that he's carrying out his ministry in a fleshly pattern. Now, Paul immediately concedes that he walks in the flesh. See it in verse 3? For though we walk in the flesh. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm subject to weakness and distress and suffering. But here's what he rejects. Though he walks in the flesh, he does not walk according to the flesh. See, the ministry of the gospel, which is warfare in and of itself, must not be carried out or waged in the flesh, meaning according to the flesh. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, instructing this young pastor, says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. Now there's an assumption there, isn't there? If there's a good warfare, then there's a, a bad warfare. Or there's a wrong way to engage. Given everything that's happening in the world around us, I think we need to all check ourselves right here. What kind of warfare are we raging right now? Good or bad? Now here's, here's part of the cultural move. Part of the cultural move right now is to say, be nice, don't engage in any warfare. Just roll over. That, that's bad warfare too. Paul's not in, accusing people of that. He's saying there's a, there's a good warfare. So I have to ask the question then, how do I know, how do we know you're waging good warfare and you're not doing it according to the flesh? The answer is in verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. So what does that mean, Pastor? It means this. That you know what you believe, that you know what you should believe, and as a result of knowing what you believe, you obey, you, you live out that which you believe in your life. Instead of 
living according to the flesh. We'll say more. But he's pressing further now as to how we should wage this good warfare. It comes from what we believe. Now he's going to get down to the brass tacks of it. That with humility and gentleness, we wage spiritual warfare in obedience to Christ by his power. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 4. So notice there are different kinds of weapons. For the weapons, plural, of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not not something that that comes from, from our fleshly way of handling things. Now he doesn't name the weapons. What he does is explain the effectiveness of the weapons. What is the effectiveness? They have the divine power to destroy strongholds. Now you've got to go, you go get an ancient image in your mind to grasp that. All of you have either seen a picture or been to a place of a walled-in city or a castle or something like that. So you've got these thick walls with these towers on the corners or wherever their angles are. So the walls were to protect people from your enemies. You had these towers and you had places across the top of the walls to fight and defend yourself. So that's, that's what you're coming up on. You're coming up on this walled-in fortress. And it says that our weapons have divine power to destroy them, to knock them down. So what is the divine power? Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for what? Salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. That means whatever your worldview Wherever you're coming from, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The success of the gospel depends on the gospel being proclaimed, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. Not as something to be proved, it is something to be believed. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, salvation is the destruction of strongholds. It is is the destroying of the things that hold us. Christ came to set us, what? Free from the stronghold of sin and death that holds us. Now, as salvation, those strongholds are broken down. Now, let's think about salvation in terms of sanctification. As the work of sanctification is working out in my life, here's what's happening. Other strongholds are being broken down. These things that have us confined and held in. So what are the strongholds? What are they? Now, in this context, and you can argue that when you really get down to what the Bible's teaching, that these strongholds are ideas. They are ways of thinking. Let me tell you what strongholds are not. 
Now listen very carefully. This is so important in the, in the world you live in right now. Strongholds are not people. Now people hold ideas and carry out and purport a way of thinking. But we are not seeking to destroy people. We are seeking to destroy strongholds. Now how do you do this? <laughs> it requires debate and discussion. This is what our world's lost. We've completely lost it. You just scream at somebody and, and say some ugly thing about them. This is what they were trying to do to Paul. Paul, you just live in your flesh. You live in your flesh. You're just awful. You're awful, terrible. You're a terrible speaker. They weren't dealing with the matters at hand. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So how do you do this? Y'all remember Mike Tyson, right? Remember Mike Tyson? Heavyweight boxer, power puncher. Does anybody remember the name Peter McNeely? I doubt it. In 1995, Peter McNeely fought Mike Tyson. Now, Peter McNeely's style was sprint to the opponent and just start flailing. It's worth pulling it up. Bell rings. McNeely runs across. Pop! Ground. I think some of you, spiritually, you know just enough Bible You're just swinging. You're just flailing. And the evil one's going, pop! And a well-astute non-believer who holds their thoughts clearly, pop! Then you don't know what to do. We're not fighting according to the flesh. We're not out of control. So what do we do? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. First, we recognize what's going on. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We're dealing with people who have been blinded. So what do we do? For what we proclaim is not ourselves. And I said this when I preached through this section. One of the things that has amazed me is how modern evangelicalism says start with your testimony. I think it's fine to share your testimony. Don't start with your testimony. We don't preach ourselves. It's not what we do. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. See the text? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now when Paul proclaimed the gospel, like you see our Lord doing when you work through the Gospels and hear Him proclaiming the kingdom. It's not just a bare declaration. He gives a clear explanation of the basis of the Gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scripture. Now that's just a bare declaration, what I just did there. But what you also see Paul doing is using reasoning and argument as he dealt with the hearers to remove the barriers, to break down these strongholds up against the truth. Let me just give you two examples. Acts 18.4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath trying to persuade, 
Listen, Jews and Greeks. Chapter 19, verse 4. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So brothers and sisters, what we are to be are to be a reasonable people who are not afraid to engage in the ideas of the world around us and to speak to them in the spirit of Christ, but to speak to these things boldly. There's a further application here. And that's the personal necessity in every believer. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Gospel Coalition wrote an article several months ago. Really, it was directed at pastors. That what do you do when Fox News and MSNBC are discipling your people? And the point of the article was that people spend many, many more hours listening to those kind of things than they do hearing and reading the Word of God. And it's no wonder that our thinking is more influenced by those kind of things that we are more reflecting those things in what we hear and what we do. When Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. Remember this? I think what Moses would need to say today is, let my people think. So how, how, how is it then that we take every thought captive? How do we capture them? We capture them with the Word of God. Now what I'm about to say is going to sound so churchy, Baptist. But brothers and sisters, if you're not hearing, reading, meditating, memorizing, putting the Word of God into your mind and heart, you lose. You live as a captive. And you're never going to get to obedience. You're going to obey the world around you as long as you listen to the world more than you listen to the things of God. We obey Christ by believing what we should believe and by doing what we should do. Then he carries an application. He says, being ready, it's verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Here's what Paul's saying. When, <clears throat> when obedience is complete, when you see people believing what they should believe and doing what they should do, then when disobedience comes up in the church, they'll deal with it. You know why there's hardly any church discipline anymore? You don't know why? Because nobody believes or obeys the Bible. So why would you discipline somebody who's not? But in an environment where you believe and obey the Bible, then you expect others who are members of that local church to believe and obey the Bible. That's not mean. That's God's expectation. So I'll just ask it this way. Do we desire complete obedience? Do we desire what the Bible's teaching right here? Or are we more concerned about what people think? Are we concerned, more concerned about being relevant? And whatever, what in the world is relevant if you're not obeying the Bible? Here's my final question. Here's the so what. Am I waging spiritual warfare and obedience to Christ? This is a quote. The church in the West stands under the most grave attacks in terms of spiritual warfare. An attack in some ways worse more worse than the physical and social physical 
physical and social persecution faced by our brothers and sisters around the world. False gospels offered by false teachers thrive, don't miss the end of this sentence, in a context of biblical and theological illiteracy. I was having a conversation with one of our younger staff members. And I won't give you the context in which he was talking about. You'd be surprised. Here's what he said. How can people who've been in this church this long not know what they believe? Now you're talking about a church here that teaches and believes the Bible. Listen to me. If you think you're going to get your mind and heart shaped by listening to me for 30 minutes once a week, you're wrong. It's going to affect you, but it's not going to shape you. The Word of God must shape you. And one of the things that ought to motivate you to be shaped by the Word of God is recognizing what's going on around you. So let's turn over to Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and open in my mouth boldly, proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now the next thing about to come out of my mouth, you better listen to me in my entirety of what I say. Otherwise you're going to write me letters and walk out of here hot as a match. I love you. I think some of you think the solution to this world is voting. You're wrong. Do I think you should vote? Yes, I do. Go vote in November. It has massive implications. But it is not the answer to the world's problems. Wrong thinking spiritually is going on in the right and in the left. And unfortunately, it's now going on in the church among the people of God. And it is because the people of God have lost sight of what's really happening. We are in a war. 
And we need to recognize the source of our strength. We are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And we're to realize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers. We are to put on Christ by His Word. That's what the armor is. We are putting on Christ the truth of His Word. We are surrounding ourselves in the Word and we take up the only offensive weapon we have, which is the Word of God, applied with sound reason and with boldness. And we pray. We pray at all times in the Spirit. And as we pray and put on the armor, we proclaim the Gospel with boldness. So i got a question for you. Are you waging spiritual warfare? Or are you tapping? For those of you who don't get my illustration, in the UFC, you can either get knocked out or you can tap out. And I think practically speaking, a lot of you, by the way you live and function on a day-to-day basis, wake up every morning and go, I tap. And it's no wonder the evil one's eating your lunch. It's no wonder you're so discouraged and despondent. It's no wonder you're so steeped in sin. Because you're tapping out. And you need to understand this, that your enemy is relentless. He will continue. His goal is defeat. To defeat you. To defeat the people of God. To ruin your name and ultimately to disparage the name of Jesus. The Bible speaks to a reality, brothers and sisters. A reality. There is a spiritual battle happening. And the only way you're going to overcome it is by the Holy Spirit's working in your life taking the Word of God and applying it in your thinking and in your speaking. That's how strongholds get torn down. That's how the gospel prevails. You say, well, you know, I just, I'm not sure about all this. I'm just going to go on vacation. I'm just going to watch TV. It's going to just Netflix binge this afternoon. Go ahead. Keep living your comfortable life. It's a grand delusion too. That while you stream alone in comfort, this isn't actually happening. Brothers and sisters, the world is untangling. Do you not notice And we're not fighting each other with guns and weapons in the United States. We're fighting each other with words. They even have a name for us now. Started when I was a kid. What do they call us? The silent majority. God have mercy on us. God never called his people to silence.
He called them to destroy strongholds by humble boldness in a world that totally disagrees with them. That's who we are, and that's where we are. I'm not tapping. Let's pray. Lord, my burden is deep for your people. I hurt with them and for them. This world's got a slap worn out. But thou, O Lord, are a shield about us. We started there before we took up this text. You're our fortress, and you are impenetrable. Yet far too often, we, we, we walk out exposed into this battle, unthinking, uncaring, disobedient. So call us to repentance and call us to take up the armor of God and to recognize where we are and to give ourselves thoughtfully, consciously to the battle that is at hand. Lord, calls me to see today, calls my brothers and sisters to see today, I don't battle against people. It's not flesh and blood. That it is far deeper than that. And calls us to see that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So grant us courage even when we are disparaged. Give us strength when we are weak. We plead in the name of Jesus.